Welcome to Improv Interviews. This is Labor Day 2021, and I have the pleasure of speaking today with Chris Alvarado. And I met him through a mutual friend who's a pretty good improviser. His name is Jay Suko. Um, but actually, Chris is the king, and uh, we're so happy to have him here today. And uh, start off with, we kind of start off with your improv story, how you got in. And Chris is also an actor as well. So, and improvisers are actors, I think, but he's also done some screen time. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I agree with that. Improvisers are actors. Sometimes people think that they're different, and I don't think they're different. Um, but I stumbled upon improv, as a lot of people do in college, uh, short form. Uh, I was at a community college where I, the plan was, you know, two years and then move on to this other school. Instead, I spent six years at a community college just doing theater and improv. And that was it. I mean, I was in, so I went to Chicago. I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Los Angeles. So I, I, I flew to Chicago and I lived there for three years and did, you know, Second City out there and everything. And I O. And uh, yeah, I mean, I played with the IO people. I was mainly at the playground theater. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, you with IO when you went out west. Yes, that's right. That's right. Let's I spent not get a, ahead of ourselves. Let's not get but, ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we got lots of time. So, yeah. uh, around how old were you when you landed in Chicago? Yeah, I was twenty-three years old. Um, I had I hadn't spent any time outside of where I'm from. I'm, I'm from a city called Downey, California, in, in Southern California. But I hadn't really like been exposed like the fabric softener, like the fabric softener. That's right. Except I'll, with a lot more gang violence. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's no problem. Um, so I hadn't really been you exposed. Like, you look like you were in a gang. People can't see you. But were you in a couple of gangs back then yourself? Uh, uh, I was in the you know what I was Margo? I was in a couple of dance crews, which are kind of like gangs, but we dance fight. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole, that's that's a whole nother podcast. The the history of me battling my way through the inner city. <laughs> well, we'll schedule that sometime. We'll get, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. So well, anyway, so one side story behind it. That's right. Thank you, Jet. Uh, I was definitely a shark, but so yeah, so uh, Chicago. You know, I went there with the trajectory that I was going to do Second City, and that would lead me to a stage, and then I'll go to SNL. And then I'll just be rich and famous. Um, uh, life didn't see it that way for me. Um, but I, I did, you know, I just did, I did improv every day of the week for three years in Chicago, crawled out of Chicago, drunk and crazy. Just, it's an easy city to get, to just get lost in. Um, anyway, then this is, that's when I ended up back here in LA and when I went to IO West and I, I spent spent a lot of years there. Uh, I trained at UCB LA and performed at the Second City here and West Side Comedy Theater. I've just been doing it ever since. I mean, we're talking over, this is, that's the short story. We're talking over, you know, 24 years of improv by this point um, in my life. Uh, and now I'm in this kind of older man place in improv, which is interesting, <laughs> where I'm not trying to find my voice. I think I found it. Not that, not that that can evolve and change as it does. Um, I do a lot of teaching now and a lot of coaching, and that has brought me a lot of joy, especially in a time when performance performances are hard to come by. You know, um, Zoom kind of kind of opened up a whole new experience for me as far as teaching my own workshops, and it's been wonderful. 
That's tremendous. And uh, there's a picture on your website. There's Craig right there. Mm-hmm. I don't know that who is the guy in the back. It almost looks like David, but it's not Dave Rosowski. I don't know who it is. That's, uh, I don't know, maybe Kevin Pollack. Of, yes, uh, yes, it is. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. They're both very attractive guys. So, <laughs> um, so you're young and you're drunk and yeah. you do improv all the time. Did Did you ever stop drinking? I I didn't. I now. I, yeah, now I'm uh, four and a half years sober. Yay! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a group called Sober Improvisers that I'm on as well. Yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I, improv really parallels the 12 steps. Um, mm. I know this isn't my interview, but I keep talking. But Please. I think so many parallels between the steps of, of AA and other programs. And um, I'm not saying which program I'm in. I'm in all of them. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so there you are and you're getting settled. And are, do you work at all with the Fanatic Salon or West? And you're with West Side, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm, I'm a West Side boy. Yeah, I teach there and perform there and coach there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the the parallels between twelve step and and improv. I will say, you know, not specifically with any twelve steps, but like one thing I'm learning the older I get is I think there's a really huge correlation between who you are off stage and who you are on stage. You know, I used to think that you, you were one person off stage and then you donned this other persona or you put on this other character, whatever. And I don't believe that as much today. I think it's, I think it's for me specifically, it's, it's intertwined. How I'm feeling off stage is how I'm going to feel on stage. So when I'm happy and healthy off stage, like I am today, I get to play in a in a positive place, and it's really nice that way. Fantastic. So yeah. I have a, a class I call it Fearless Improv, but I've heard you talk about fearlessness as well. And can you tell me your take on fearlessness and improv? Interesting. First of all, I think fear is so prevalent um, in my students. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I just started teaching a level two at the West Side Comedy Theater in Santa Monica. I've only taught, I, I typically teach the, the higher levels, um, mainly because I'm a, a jerk and, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to scare the kids off, but we were, <laughs> we, were, we were running some scenes the other day and I said, are you guys scared? And they all said, yeah. And I had, for, and that was, that was, that's my fault as a, as a teacher to, not take that into account. And I thought that was really interesting that that we a lot of training centers, a lot of teachers and coaches are teaching these improv fundamentals, but I think we're skipping over a major part, which is getting to a place that you can learn the improv fundamentals, meaning getting past the fear of just standing up and sitting in that chair or doing that scene takes a lot a lot yeah, and yeah. me and me myself marco i'm such a fear-based fuck you know i'm always walking around scared i'm always i don't want to i want to be liked and i don't want to hurt this person's feelings i'm a people pleaser and i'm all these things and all that like i'm saying earlier it limits how i play it limits how i play so Fear comes up a lot for me in my day to day, but also I see it in my students, and it's it's an interesting, interesting topic to tackle. What's what what, what are your thoughts on fear and improvisation? Um, well, I'm a therapist, and uh. so I've created courses improv for anxiety. Now, getting people with anxiety to enroll in the class is a major feat because sure, 
you often have social anxiety and anxiety is our number one mental health problem today anyway it's all mm -hmm. over the place uh but i think it's really important and just keep validating uh, you know no mistakes no failures and uh, when i was first when i first started teaching i <laughs> i would say things like no try this or you know now i just say that was great let's try it mm. this way um which is something jay helped me with it too so well you know because I, I i i completely hear you on all that i mean i i was notorious at the west side for being the screamy teacher you know the one that that yelled all the time because i thought that was the right way to do it and I didn't have time to watch mediocre scene work. You know, are you are we here to get down or or what? Um, that that's since changed. But I also think, like you're saying, having people with anxiety even sign up for the class is a feat unto itself. We need to recognize the students' goals, um, individual and otherwise. These people don't want to be on SNL. Right. They're young, young professionals or older professionals. They are taking a class to be better and more well-rounded people. Now, none of my actor friends are taking business courses at the Learning Annex. <laughs> They're not trying to expand themselves. Yet here we have these software engineers or tech people stepping into a room on a Wednesday night to, you know, pretend like they're a duck. <laughs> and <laughs> I used to, believe it or not, you know, I used to not really see the benefit in that because I was so focused on the most elite and meaningful scene work. But the, those blind, those blunders, those blinders, part of me have fallen apart as I really understand why they're there. And that's changed my, my entire philosophy. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I started training with a fellow from comedy sports down here in Florida, but then I, the pandemic has allowed me to take Oh, so many great classes with so many wonderful teachers and experience different things. But it sounds like you were like kind of a, a mini Del Close back in those days. Um, I, th I mean, in that we're both a little crazy and thought there was the right way to do it. Sure. Um, because, you know, I, listen, I, I haven't left that guy completely. I still think there's a standard. I don't think, you know, kind of like, uh, unlike Jay and almost unlike your... I, again, we're talking about what the goals here are, and wow. it's very important to me to ask the students if their goal is to get out of their shell, right? That's a pretty general common one. Okay, then maybe maybe I don't, they don't need to be so harsh with the, with the notes. If their goal is to do successful scene work, we're, there's gonna, there's, there's gonna, we're, we're gonna have a different conversation people often say we want to have fun want to have fun and i always say you know what's not fun bad scene work flailing not knowing what right. you're doing there's no freedom we pretend like improv is just everybody come on stage then we just fly around that's not true that's not true. i mean there's classes exist but especially in the lower levels but as you climb if your goal is to do a show put together a piece learn a format a form well there are there are things we need to do and so a lot of training centers coddle students and I go, well, how about this? Why don't I just teach you everything I know about improvisation? Why don't I give you the full fucking everything and let's go? Not level three is a character or level four. No, no, let's go and let's get you to be the best improviser you could be. And so sometimes that would come with tougher notes. Um, again, 
it isn't as much anymore. And I think because I'm learning the goals of the students, but yeah, I still, I don't, I, listen, at the end of the day, Margo, I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch a bad scene and they don't want to do a bad scene. So I don't know how beneficial it is to only say everything you're doing is right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, yep. um, you know, there's a lot of people will say, start a scene this way or start a scene that way, you know, come in with an emotion or come in with, uh, you know, your character already in mind. And, and I love um, DJ and, and uh, the two guys I'm, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, 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 TJ, TJ and Dave. And Dave, right? Yeah. yeah. I love watching them because they don't come in prepared at all, but they <laughs> absorb each other. Yeah. But, but even that, even that moment, there needs to be classes that teach people to get to a point where they, where they are able to absorb. So there's this, like, there's this, like, pre, there's, you know, as a matter of fact, on my podcast, The Comedy Fix, just yesterday, we did an episode where myself and my two co-hosts, we brought in um, uh, frameworks for our, our ideal training centers. Um, kind of a joke, just kind of like what we would do differently as opposed to kind of the big players. And it's kind of what I'm stuck on today, but I'm I'm really realizing there needs to be courses, in my opinion, that that are teaching you how to play, not just go play. People are too afraid to go play. People are too afraid to go absorb. I mean, who, what type of place do you need to be in, in your life personally or on stage that you're able to absorb? That means you're fully present. That means anxiety isn't there. That means you're not thinking ahead. That's a big ask for for someone who works in tech in in Santa Monica. You know, maybe there are actors that uh, can easily adapt. So I think taking care of them earlier for me is the key. Let's let's pump the brakes. Let's slow this the fuck yeah, down. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. S slow this down. Let's go. Let's let's do an eight minute scene word by word take a pause we're so afraid of the silence take this pause really absorb what you just heard let it go through your body and respond now we're off to the races nice and slow and we're building these muscles that that i'm seeing later on equate to you being able to go on stage as tj and dave and absorb but we're doing these small little muscle movements in my in my workshops to kind of get you. It's some wax on wax off stuff, you know right, what I mean? Right, right. And then you're out there in the dojo, and we're doing fast scene work and no look passes, and we're having a great time. But let's slow it down. Totally with you on that one. I yeah. find that you know my my beginning students um, will just they can't take a breath. They can't take a breath. So sometimes they even say, okay. 15 seconds and then i'll let you know it's time to go <laughs> yeah. and it's unbearable for some people i know because of the anxiety and because people think they need to fill in the spaces they don't get how silence and being right there is so important so important as a matter of fact the majority of my workshops now i do them twice a week started in the, in the pandemic have transformed to frankly a dramatic improv style, uh, almost no laughs, almost always tears. And I actually give a fuck. And that's a big difference for me, as opposed to watching students do their impression of what they think improv is. 
these surface level caricatures. Now we're slowing it down. We're being real. And frankly, it's becoming cathartic. And that wasn't my intention, but that's what's happening. And it goes back to what I was saying that we are be becoming those who we are on and off the stage are becoming more are becoming closer to each other. And it's just a really it was an experiment, Margo. It was an experiment that has blossomed into, I wouldn't say a new philosophy fully, but I don't know. It's something I'm really looking at as as important work. I I totally agree with you. And I think that's kind of coming into it's been coming into vogue during the pandemic, certainly that we're not going for laughs. Of course, that's, you know, and jokes, which is the lowest form of humor. I'm a scholar, so I know this lowest form of humor <laughs> is a joke um, and being ourselves and the unintentional humor in reality and everyday life is is great. It's just great. Yes, yes. you know. <sighs> I think that 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 came you're right into vogue during the pandemic, partially because we had no audience, right? It's two people on a monitor. And there's no results. We're not looking for anything, no expectations. But also, I think a lot of teachers I had growing up and people I hear talking will use words like grounded, honest, real. I don't think they actually believe that. Don't be funny. You hear that every level you'll ever take for the rest of your life. Don't be funny. Really? Then why is it that the funniest people are getting put on these teams? Why is it that the funniest people are getting put on the shows? I thought, I thought we said don't be funny. I'm taking that to heart. We're not being funny. You're right. Some, some natural humor might occur. But I'm really saying that because my whole life I heard it. And then I'm next to people who are very funny. And, you know, that's good to be funny. That's great if you've got it. But don't don't use the words grounded, slow, honest scene work when that's not what actually what you mean. You don't mean that because I mean that. And my scenes and my students show that. <laughs> right. So, um, oh, I want it ask you who are some of your greatest influences when you were studying and in, in the beginning yeah it's interesting i mean i didn't have a when i first started i was just i learned from my you know community college mentor a gentleman named kevin hoggard who had brought his knowledge of short form to this small school in norwalk california so there was nothing outside of him and then i remember when i got to chicago and I saw some players play. I saw um, Miles Stroth and Dan all do a show called Zumpf. I was a huge Dan all fan. I didn't know things could be done that way. Um, you know, my, my, my peers in Chicago became the people I looked up to, frankly. You know, the people I was on teams with, they would blow me away and show me, show me things I didn't know you could do. Meaning I didn't know a lot about comedy or performance when I had left LA to go to Chicago, I really had such a limited um, view of it all. So I was just inspired by those around me. Today, you know, we mentioned Craig earlier before I think we even started recording Craig Kakowski. You know, I love playing with Craig and I love playing with Joey Greer, who's also part of this cast of my, my podcast, Alchemy This. Again, but these are my peers now, which is really exciting to say Craig Kakowski is a peer of mine, right? And a friend. Um, 
Yeah, I wish I had that answer, Margo, that cool answer. Like, well, it was, I looked at this person and this person. I don't think I really have that, you know? And, and last thing I'll say is like people who are known in the improv community, maybe not like worldwide, but a gentleman named Ithamar Enriquez and Brian Shortall, they have a duo called Delicious Moments that really just shatter the mold of, of anything you think is supposed to happen in an improv show. Stuff like that is inspiring to me, inspiring to me. Um, yeah, I don't really have the names. And I guess I'll say one, a big name would probably be Mick Napier. Um, Mick directed a, a Second City ship I did, um, one of those boats. And I really, I really took to his style, which was take care of yourself first. Um, right. I love that idea. Instead of make your partner look good. Instead of, well, you're making your partner look good by taking care of yourself. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just same like a, like a relationship, right? Margo, I thought that the way you showed you love somebody was that you bled out for them. Right. <laughs> and that isn't, no, in order for me to be a good partner in real life, I got to take care of me. Same thing on stage. I don't need you to look to me. I don't need your support. I don't need you to fill in any blanks for me. I'm fine. <laughs> so you be fine too. And let's go. So I gotta ask you, how many years have you been doing improv? Uh, you look 20... like you're 23. Thank you. I look like I'm 23. I've been doing improv for 24 years. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool. unfortunately it's the only thing I know anything about. Don't ask me how many years I uh, have saved money, or <laughs> you know, how many years in a row I work out or eat right, or uh, those things aren't. Um, I don't have a, as long of a track history as I do with anything in my life, except for improvisation, for better or worse. Do you can I ask a personal question? Do you have yeah. anything right now or? Um, uh, I'm at, yeah, I'm engaged. I'm engaged. Um, I was married. I got divorced uh, a few five six years ago now um, to a, also an improviser, and my current fiance is a is a comedic actress and a great improviser herself. Um, yeah, things are good. That's great. That's yeah. Great. So, how has the pandemic affected you emotionally and professionally? It's, it's been the best. Like a dark cloud. I'm sorry, like a dark it's... cloud over all of us. Oh, it's been the best for me. It's been the best. I mean, I'm in Los Angeles where I'm trying to balance making money with having a career in an industry that doesn't want me. So that's a tough place to be when you're burning the candles at both ends, driving all over town to auditions. I ultimately don't book and trying to get to my shows and then trying to get to the classroom and trying to get to the coaching sessions. The pandemic allowed all that to stop. <laughs> I needed that break. I needed to come up for air and it was really helpful for me. That's tremendous. Well, the opportunity to work with people worldwide has been tremendous for me as well. And just meeting great people has been fantastic. And, and I, I choose to work out of my house. So I do a lot of telehealth and otherwise I'm in classes. And I'd say during the pandemic, I was taking eight to 10 hours of class a week. <laughs> That's not every day. I mean, but yeah, I take yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was your experience? What, what, did you find it to be beneficial? What did you find to be lacking? I found it to be my happy time. My yeah. happy time, meeting kindred spirits. Not all, um, yeah. but you know, there's assholes everywhere. Although Susan Messing once said, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. So I love that. Love that. <laughs> Isn't she funny? She's great. <laughs> I love Susan. 
Um, and just more growth and challenge, you know, because I was in classes where they didn't say that's really good, but gave a sincere note. So now, now do, you, do you think that the training and the experience you had through Zoom classes or online classes is do you think that's going to lend itself to in person performance? Do you think you're becoming a quote unquote better improviser? You know, will you be able to put, bring that to so. I yeah. hope so. I really do. You know, I, I love a live audience. I was with a troupe for five years and I love the live audience and the camaraderie of being on a team until it wasn't so much fun. And then I was yeah. the asshole. Yeah, oh, that happens. To, that happens to all of us. We're all that on a team occasionally. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how that's going to, how this is going to play out. I'm now doing an in-person class at the West Side fully vaxxed, fully masked. And that's different, right? Everybody's wearing a mask. Yes. Um, and I, I, I realized that the only the only real physicality I missed on zoom wasn't the object work of holding a grenade or a cup of coffee. It was just the ability to either get closer or further from a person. That's all I wanted. So it's really nice to be in class now and to just encourage them to do one of, of those others and how much that that's speaks to how you're feeling it's really nice because at the, on, on the same hand we forget that the physicality can kind of jumble up some scenes especially with newer improvisers they're trying to make that cup of coffee and have a scene and it's kind of like tapping their head and rubbing their belly right they get a little confused or they drop the mug and you know so i didn't miss that in zoom but just the ability to get a little closer to somebody or a little further apart it's been nice oh, yeah or games like entrances and exits. I mean, sure. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna breathe for a second, Chris. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned short, you mentioned short form games. Mm. Do you use short form form games at all in your teaching at all? I don't. I don't. But boy, do I love it. I love short form. Um, I love it. I don't know. I, I don't use them. You, you know what? In what the only way I, th I think I use them is I was lucky enough to right before the pandemic, I was lucky enough to do a show at the groundlings called cooking with gas. Wow. I, I never, I, uh, I never spent time at the groundlings and boy, what a show. I mean, a huge house and live musicians and people are, you know, I've spent a, the majority of my life, Margot doing shows for not so full houses, let's say. Um, <laughs> And it was so wonderful, but part of that format w was the person who's who's directing the show will ask the audience for a lot of input, which kind of reminded me of short form as opposed to just like the one suggestion, right? She'll ask for a relationship and a location and even a first line of dialogue, which I thought was a kind of cool marrying of the kind of short form audience input with then able to do the scene work. So I'll do that in, in, in my in my classes from time to time, all kind of over input, just, just for the sake of, of, hey, I'm gonna put on a ton of training wheels here. You don't need to focus on this, focus on how you feel about each other and let's go. So that would probably be the only way I incorporate the more short forming, a lot of input. Well, they get a bad name, but a short form, you know, did you ever do the Herald at all when you were studying or do you do it now anymore? The, the Herald? Herald. Oh, oh yeah! I've done many a Herald, and there's games in the Herald, and there's so. games in the Herald. Yeah, God, the Herald! I could talk about the Herald for an hour, and okay, I wonder, go ahead. Well, go 
Well, no, 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 I don't want to. Because <laughs> I, I wonder its usefulness or its relevance today. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, of course, I I look to the Herald with uh, reverence, but I don't know if, like I said, the people I'm teaching <laughs> in Santa Monica necessarily need to do the Herald. <laughs> I mean, it has form, it has form, it has things and, you know, uh, they can be fun. I really like the Armando Diaz and mm -hmm. um, is it Beer Mice Sharks? Beer Shark Mice, yeah. Shark Mice, yeah. 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 <laughs> I love them. And um, I, went, I got to go to the DCM a couple of years ago, which was really fun because I got on stage. I mean, I'm a real newbie and they put me on stage and I was like this. <laughs> what, what, what are you why, why are you doing this what 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 about improv does it for you well you know as a psychotherapist for like three decades okay there's compassion fatigue um and also uh being in recovery my brain's not completely there hmm. uh, so it helps me stay you didn't like the word grounded but grounded in the moment present and also I love to teach I teach improv to therapists I teach improv at professional workshops. Um, this year I'm speaking at the applied improv network um, and I like to work with people who have challenges, so I do a weekly class with people with Parkinson's and their care partners and other movement disorders with some dementia and wow. so I um, really enjoy that. Um, but this new class I've started is just kind of free form. Let's have fun and play, you know, and I like that too. How, what is it like to teach somebody that has dementia? It takes a lot of patience. My dad had Parkinson's disease and he also got very bad dementia and we lived with him and took care of him, my husband and I. So I had that experience. I also had clinical experience of working with people with dementia. And so we go very slow. Yeah. And in this case, everything they do is is a success. Yes. Just being able to do anything. I mean, we have some players and um, they may not be able to totally understand the direction. That's when I used to go like this, because I've been doing this almost five years for people yeah. with Parkinson's uh, and to and to now let's try another way. And so we go very, very slow, very patiently. And the other members really support each other. So that's what is great, too. That's um, wonderful. And they're not going to be perfect. Who's perfect anyway? Uh, who gives and, a shit about that? But we do some fun things. We do gibberish opera and translator and different scene work. And it just gives me a lot of joy. I, I really and I like teaching people with anxiety, too, because we can see them. I do a pre and a post test. Uh, before they start and then after the six or eight weeks and you can see where maybe some depression has decreased or anxiety has decreased and that wow. gives me more motivation to continue that is fascinating also would you mind telling me a little bit about um compassion fatigue well we used to use the words burnout okay burnout you got burnout and in my profession there's a high percentage of suicides especially and i'm a social worker especially in social work and so it's when you've been doing it for so long maybe you have a caseload of people who don't really want to change they just want you to tell them what to do okay yeah. and they're not become treatment compliant or there may be instances a lot of us 
end up getting sued for crazy shit, you know. Um, yeah. I haven't been sued, thank God. But um, and it's just that in and out of listening five, six hours a day of people in severe distress and situations that, like a good codependent, I am unable. I can't fix them. I can make suggestions, and that's about it. But and sometimes it, it gets to you at the end of the day. Now, I don't really think about my cases at the end of the day, but occasionally, like in cases of maybe domestic violence, yeah, things like that, or really bad PTSD. And improv is really good for PTSD, too, as, as well. But it kind of gets to you, and it becomes a heavy burden. And, and so I balance that with improv, which gives me joy and community and acceptance. God, and and yet and yet yourself and others uh, I read about constantly like are starting to combine those worlds right um like the applied Im improvisation and stuff how interesting it is uh, on the one hand you're a psychotherapist professionally and a social worker professionally and you want to leave that behind or not leave it behind but like you want to like just have some fun and some community with the improvisation but then there's another world where you kind of bring in your professional and your fun together, right? There's a, a Venn diagram where they meet, where you're using the tools that you've learned in improvisation to help others. Is that, I mean, I don't know, that sounds really, really gratifying. And I'm sure for your students, what a weird world to be introduced to. Um, improv, I mean, some not everybody in the world has even heard of improv right and now here we are you're dealing with somebody that has ptsd and you're asking them to quack like a duck that must be fascinating oh it totally is and so individuals families i love working with teenagers and parents and even on zoom it can work um and so we get a range of people that we can do this with because my website is very clear that i do mm. improv therapy it's for, and I tell people that right away too maybe I won't work for you but we'll try it but I've seen such wonderful results um that's really I you know I I don't think it's that far from a lot of I feel like I, I feel like I do some of that work um unintentionally when you're dealing with people who are taking an improv class to for social reasons or to get out of their shell or for better public speaking skills as opposed to people who are trying to be on snl you're dealing with people that are trying to overcome these these personal things so sometimes we the i'm not nearly as educated as you especially professionally will find ourselves in a role where we are trying to do our best to aid these students who should probably be in your class and not not in a in a standard improv class that is really fascinating it's happening all over the country i mean yeah. uh there's a couple of actually second city chicago was doing some uh improv with parkinson's and improv with anxiety and i have a great friend in canada who was with second city canada for a while and he was he had gone through such terrible anxiety himself that he's really qualified to teach it mm -hmm. um now some people have no sense of what it's about and anyway but it's tremendous it's just it's just fun and i like i like to have fun i like to play i was doing work in play and humor and laughter 
25 years before I got into improv. I was doing workshops mostly for therapists, but other people teaching them how to play. There was something called new games, which are similar to a lot of um, improv games. And uh, I loved having people feel good because I am a codependent. I like making people happy and laughing and joyful. And play is that ingredient that adults just don't get anymore. They're frightened to play. I get it. I mean, I myself, you know, a handful of years ago was not playing anymore on stage. I was trying to get it right. I was trying to hit the home runs. I was um, had a different focus and different goals in mind. Right. Play was tertiary. It was the on my on my list of things I'm going to do tonight on that stage. Um, hopefully I'm not there anymore. But that's interesting. That is really interesting. You know, because I think part of it is when we hear the word play, I'll speak for myself, when I hear the word play, there's a fear in me that it's going to, I'll just be frank, dumb down the work, right? That somehow these scenes are supposed to be so wildly sophisticated and emotional. And listen, they can be, and I love that too. But what what a disservice to ourselves and to the players if we're, if the element of play isn't there, right? It's like, so what? You have a high reference levels or fuck that. Show me some play. And that, I mean, it's it's it seems like it would be always there because you're making stuff up all the time. But speaking of some, for myself, play can leave the equation. And that's a sad place to be when you're on stage, just white knuckling it through these scenes and through these shows. You know, what a what a... What a missed opportunity, frankly. You know, play is really important for adults, even more so than children. Children's natural language is play. But adults get really serious and, you know, this is life or even, you know, I'm doing this improv scene correctly. I'm following all my teacher's directions and uh, and they're not having fun and they're not playing. Because we are playing no matter what. We're still playing. We're somebody yeah. else playing with somebody else. And I think the word play gets bad connotations sometimes, but actually there's been studies that show that how essential play is to life. And I work with a lot of older people and they particularly forgot what play is. So. Yeah. Can we talk about that for one second? You know, there's a improv as an institution has a lot of imperfections, right? A lot of places where these, uh, training centers and theaters need to step up. And I think some of that stuff is coming to light now. Talk to me about ageism or being older in improvisation and that place to, you know, I have a couple of older students in my workshops and I'm aware of that. And, and without giving too much information of people's personal stuff, I've had some conversations with some of these students, their fears, their anxiety about being, the oldest person in the room and feeling limited or feeling judged. Will you, can you talk to me a little bit about that? And like what you deal with older people, what, what, are, what, 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 just anything on this? Well, I'm an older person, but it looks like you're interviewing me, but I will address it anyway. You're so much fun. It's, it's um, fascinating. No, I was 60 when I started improv and wow. I've been doing it over 10 years now. So I was definitely older than these young boys. It was usually young white boys. Um, and then we got more women in eventually. Um, and finally some people diversity came in as well. But I was always being cast as the mother or the grandmother. 
Right. And uh, I, because of my uh, physical, I've had knee and hip replacements and all this stuff. I am not as nubile or able to do things like cartwheels or roll around <laughs> on the floor. You know, I'm a little limited. So I couldn't do all that stuff that the young boys were doing. And I just call them young boys because that's what they seem like. So I, by the end of the time I was in my group, I was feeling very shut down. I didn't even know if I wanted to do it anymore because it just wasn't fun anymore. And uh, there's actually something coming up next weekend called the Vintage Improv Festival for people over 50. Oh, and love that. I know, and, and a woman's Mickey Manning and she's been doing these for a couple of years now. And uh, the students are over 50 usually. And uh, Jay teaches there, uh, he's doing an intensive and some wonderful people are teaching there. Um, and it's just a delight. So. Uh, you know, I know I'm not going to be on SNL. I know I'm not going to be in Harold and Maud. I wouldn't want to. It's already been made. But I can do something. I can still, I can perform. I can do monologues. I'm working on um, storytelling. And I love to play improv. Um, I mean, if you don't mind, just, just one more kind of example or question I have. You know, being labeled the mom or the grandmother, there's... That's unfortunate for a number of reasons, right? And one of the reasons is that hopefully we step on that stage as neutral and as blank as possible, right? I'm not wearing a white t-shirt. I'm I'm a, I'm a knight or I'm a shark, right? You know what I mean? Like, so so to to label you as such gets rid of some of that fun, you know, that, that we can be whoever we want. But I'm thinking of of one gentleman in my classes who recently was doing a scene with a younger woman and she was essentially saying, you know, love you, do you love me? And there's a hesitation in him as the as the person. I could see the hesitation and he said, "Well, I'm I'm worried about our age difference." Now, he took that on. He's he's an older man. She didn't say that. She just said, "I love you, do you love me?" And it's because he has a hesitation and rightfully so to, I think he might not understand that he has permission or it might be weird if he pretends that he's younger. Yeah, it's not weird that we pretend that we're pirates, but for right. some reason it's right. weird if you, you know what I mean? That's yeah, a, exactly, exactly, exactly. That's so true. And I think this is what people of color in improv have been experiencing for years now. And yeah. finally, we're recognizing that and having more diverse theaters and teachers and all that. And globally, yeah. I've been taking classes like in England sometimes and in India and other parts of the world. And I teach sometimes in India, which is really fun, you know. That's wonderful. But it's great. It's great. So, yeah, the age can be a problem and some people never get it out of their head. They, they lack imagination and creativity. I'm not trying to say they're idiots, but... Um, Maybe they are. Uh, maybe they are, <laughs> or maybe you know. I mean, uh, is part of that on this on the teacher? You know, are we sh are should we be a little more a little stronger with those notes? Hey, can we be a little more imaginative here? A little more creative? Can we make this person someone the same age, younger? Like what you know? What is that? You know, maybe that should. Not that I said it out loud, maybe that's something I should I should mention. But it's interesting though too, as the teacher, I don't want to call something like that out specifically because I don't want to put that person on the spot, right. or I don't want you know I don't want them to feel like, 
all right, everybody, we're making the adjustment for so-and-so, you know, I don't want that, that, that feeling, but, but it's certainly worth a mention because it, it can be limiting. And I would imagine for this gentleman, it's limiting in his play. He wants to be, he, he logs on to the zoom class to be everything to be somebody who's not in Southern California in 2021 necessarily. Right. We can go anywhere. Anyway, that's such an interesting part of all this. Yeah, that's another reason this vintage improv and I've taken some classes with different people over the years. And some people you just get right away, hope they get you. And other times it's like, Oh, why'd I spend the money? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know I always offer um, my students that I I encourage them to watch a class before they take a class with me, because my style is a little different. And I don't want them to feel bummed out or that they made the wrong decision. So I always say, come watch a class for free. Come check it out. Ask me any questions you have. Um, And that's been working out well. So um, this is one of those standard dumb questions. Well, there's no question that's dumb because we're seeking knowledge and seeking knowledge is not dumb. Okay, but where (laughs) do you see yourself in a couple of years? What would you like to have happen for you, Chris? Um, That's a great question. You know, the ego part of me wants to be um, all over your television screen or um but the heart of me wants to open my own in-person studio um but not a not an improv theater uh an improv studio right. that's focused like many of the acting studios here in los angeles more of improvised scene work if you a part of me scene study as opposed to shows where the class is the show that we're not learning tools in a level to hopefully one day show those tools in a class show, but an ongoing studio where we're constantly exploring, learning, um, and really pushing the boundaries of what this art form can be. And I mean that legitimately, I think we call this a living art form, yet in an art form that has limitless possibilities, everybody seems to be bound by ancient rules and maxims and ideas. So for me in a couple of years, I'd like to have the Chris Alvarado Improv Studio where actors and improvisers alike come and train and explore. I'd go if I lived in California. <laughs> so, you know, that reminded me of what I really was, when I first started reading McNapier's book um, about throwing out the rules. And not being bound by these things that make you so uncomfortable, uh, like don't ask a question or something like that. And questions are fine, you know, it's just whatever. But um, man, you've done a great interview with me today. I'm going to call it Chris Alvarado <laughs> interview with Marco. <laughs> well, what you're doing is fascinating. What you're doing is fascinating. And uh, thank you for sharing that with me. Well, what you're doing is terrific, too, and you're bringing joy to people and helping people express emotions. And isn't that what art is about? The same person can see the same painting and it brings tears or it brings smiles or whatever. So, I mean, I'm totally into that. Me, too. And you have been a delightful person to speak to on Labor Day. and You're getting ready to go to a picnic later on. Yes, that's right. That's right. A little uh, little Labor Day action. Yep. That's great. Well, thank you so much. And I think I'd like to, you know, do another interview with you sometime because it's like a free lesson. 
So I like <laughs> I like getting things for free. You're so charming. <laughs> and I will I will acknowledge one more time, Jay Suko, for introducing me to you. And, Hi, Jay. Uh, <laughs> I think he told me we had to say his name about twenty times. In this yeah, movie. yeah, that, that that sounds like Jay. Yeah. Thank you so, Margo. Thank you so much. Uh, you're lovely, and I appreciate everything you're doing for for all of this. Thank you. Thank you, Chris.